Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Now, this is the second PropTech PropCast that we're hosting at present. And we're going to be joined today by Roloff Opperman, who's Managing Director at Fifth Wall, who are currently raising uh, one of the largest European PropTech funds, around 100 million euros. And uh, let's get straight in there, really. Uh, let's, let's welcome Roloff and, and, and have a chat about innovation, disruption, ESG, and pretty much everything to do with the sector. So Roloff, given where we are now in the market and the cycle, everything that's happening post-COVID, retail offices and and, and lots of doom and gloom, let's be honest, um, how are companies still able to, to throw money into what many people would simply describe as a bunch of moonshots? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great question. So look, I mean, what we found in general in, in PropTech and in our portfolio uh, widely is that you want to put things in almost kind of three buckets, right? So the first is, in some senses, prop tech that had a massive tailwind due to COVID. Um, you know, we, we could come up with some anecdotal uh, um, examples, but let me take one in our U.S. portfolio. So we have a company called Notarize, um, and uh, basically what it does is it helps with virtual notarizations for things like mortgage documents. Um, so instead of having the more, you know, the notarization agent there physically, uh, you just do it via a, um, app phone call, right? Video phone call that has taken off with COVID, right? Because suddenly everyone is social distancing. Everyone's stuck at home. Um, you have those types of, uh, areas, particularly within residential where, you know, virtual viewing, et cetera, COVID has actually been a massive boost and catalyst for mm. them, I think. So So you have that kind of group of bucket. And it's not just in residential, but that's just one example. You then have the groups where it will be a bit of a pause right now in terms of actual contract signed because of a bit of the turmoil in real estate. But there is no doubt uh, in everyone's mind that traction has picked up and that coming out of this, um, there will be an increased demand for what they're doing. Um, the examples there may be things like what we call tenant engagement apps, right, or apps for buildings, um, or uh, things like um, uh, co-working or, 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 or flexible space. Uh, now, obviously, you know, a lot of co-working companies are having a tough time, but I don't think anyone uh, who is serious about the business and looks at the stats doesn't think that people are going to want more flexible space coming out of this crisis than they are going into it, right? Um, mm. In fact, we probably think that that market is bigger than everyone initially thought. Um, so you have that kind of middle category. And then I would say you have the end category. And I think we've been fortunate that um, just honestly through through more luck than anything, we, we haven't had a lot of exposure there, but things like in the hospitality area, right? Where um, the kind of lack of understanding of duration of how long this thing is gonna last has led to, you know, a lot of challenges in that area, right? Um, and I think as the vaccine gets rolled out and as these other alternative platforms come up, um, I think those, you know, that's where real opportunities are going to be. Uh, but obviously, if you um, had done work or were doing software for hotels right now, obviously, that's, that's a challenging area, right? Um, mm. So I think that to us, it's in these three buckets, if anything, at a high level, in a weird way, it's it, it's kind of been a real catalyst for tech in general in real estate. And I think there's a there's a few reasons for that. I think I think the first is certainly that um, 
the, the, the changes that were happening gradually just got accelerated, right? And all of a sudden, tech is kind of front and center to every real estate executive. It's how they're doing their meetings every day. It's um, how they're actually enabled to work from home. And I think it's just front and center to everything they're doing. And therefore, I think it's more top of mind in terms of what's important, right? And so you regularly see these surveys now where people are saying from executives, you know, what is your plan for spending on tech? And almost all of them have increased their their plan for technology spend. Um, in, but are, are they the right people just spending that money? And that, that's that's kind yeah. of my point here, because I, I guess, you know, you guys have been hugely successful raising money and investing over the last four, nearly five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got some some fantastic top tier partners uh, from you know the who's who of global real estate, right? right. People like British Land, Seagrove, BMP Paribas Real Estate. Um, but obviously, there's a huge amount of pressure in the listed sector, particularly at the minute. Cash calls from from many large mm-hmm. firms. We've seen them over the last you know last few weeks. Uh, obviously, a, a bit of carnage at Unibail um, along the way. But uh, but but my question is: Is should these companies not be focusing on themselves rather than uh, you know investing in in third party funds? Oh yeah, okay. So I understand. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Putting aside specific examples, I think that the the thing about uh, technology and the and the and the putting in money of these um, you know the, the kind of commitments to technology in general, I think the truth is you're getting. Remember, it's an investment in efficiency and operational efficiency, right? So when you're when you're sitting there as a large company and you're thinking about the future and you're going through this particular period, uh, the question you kind of have is, what is my, you know, strategic plan and how does technology fit into that, right? And the truth is that the balance sheets of the companies we're dealing with versus what they're kind of committing, right? Is, is very small and the ROI is just so high and, and it's been proven. So in some senses, it, it may seem kind of weird. Hey, why would you put money in tech or put money in this area of tech uh, when you know uh, money's tight or this is a particular area? It's almost because you, you almost have to and you've seen the efficiency of that. So you put a little bit mm. of money in now to save a lot of money over that period. Um, and well, I, I guess think, in some yeah. respects, it's probably the money they would have spent going to map it and going to MIP him over the last couple of years, which they're <laughs> not going to do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love those organizations, so no comment on that. But I think, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's kind of what we're thinking about. And then I think the other thing is what is very top of mind is it, it's almost similar to uh, like putting the question back to you of, well, despite this down period, why are people still focused on sustainability? Why are people still focused on green tech? And why are people still focused on um, you know, making sure that uh, what they're doing in the future is, is good for the climate, even though... Well, some of them aren't, though. I mean, that's <laughs> the thing is a survey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, I, I think, you know, it's it's. I'd like to think that most people are, but I think the reality is that, that where company execs are fighting for survival, those things will be on pause. Yeah, but um, I, I, think you, I think we do want to be a little careful uh, uh, painting too broad a brush, right? I mean, I think, I think that certainly in retail, there's been that issue, right? And, and retail is really going through an existential crisis, right? Um, and I think in those areas, you know, that there's a lot of challenges. I think in office, obviously, they're going through a big challenge, um, but I, I think that they're in a much better position, certainly, to get through this. Because I, I think even the people that are the most gung-ho on working from home understand that there will be an office left at the end of the day, right? Um, and it, it will obviously be diminished, but it may it will still be there. As opposed to in retail, where 
you know, I mean, you're talking about real diminishment, right? Um, and then, and then there's other areas that have done well, right? Resi is is obviously you know doing super well um, in in certain areas, almost globally. Uh, you know, obviously logistics has been an incredible asset class to be in. Um, and then you've got these other areas, you know, sub areas like healthcare or um, bio that are, are kind of emerging data centers that are emerging. So, uh, you know, I do think that, um, uh, you know, we want to be a little careful broadening that, that, that broad brush. But I will say that for the companies we deal with, and we're very lucky to deal with, you know, as you, as you mentioned, some of the biggest um, and a lot of them are listed, you know, for them, um, you know, so you've seen from the public announcements and from their strategic objectives, you know, the sustainability and the tech is still there. Um, and I think that they're there, you know, if I'm an executive, not talking about them specifically, but in general, if I'm an executive, I realize that, you know, there's there's kind of, yes, there's money I need to spend, but I'm getting such a return from it. And then secondly, most importantly, even if I don't think I'm going to do it, all my competitors are. And so the key is that if they don't do it, right, if, if any big listed company now doesn't care about sustainability, um, isn't focused on it, isn't spending on it, uh, the truth is I don't think that executive will be there very long. Um, no, absolutely, and, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we're starting to see that now. And I, and I think, you know, there, there is some of those sectors you mentioned, like biotech and certainly some of the the, 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 the modular housing plays that investors such as uh goldman sachs and legal yes. general are backing these potentially have have quite good esg creds alongside them which could well open up new sources of capital yes. um and that, that that then opens the door quite nicely for some of the sorts of things that you guys are backing right that's right yeah look i mean obviously uh, not to make this a macroeconomic uh, discussion but you know low interest rates are going to help assets right um and uh, the government certainly, I think, not, not to mention all the asset buying. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, and and if you know, if you're worried about inflation, certainly uh, technology tends to be you know long term a good hedge. Um, but I think that um, the government certainly across the world, across Europe, and then you know, I think the hope is in the U.S. now um, are really putting forward this agenda on uh, climate change and and how important the built world is as part of that. Um, and so. You know, all of that is is helping. And I think what we realize is to solve a lot of these climate issues, but in addition to solve a lot of the social issues. Right. I mean, housing is a social issue um, and the lack of affordable housing is a social issue. Um, we think technology is key and technology is not where it needs to be right now for us to solve these. There is going to have to be a lot more R&D, um, some in the form of venture, some in the form of corporate R&D that goes into these solutions in order to create these, these, uh, you know, in order to create these solutions that are going to solve these mm. problems. Um, and that's why we feel positive about the sector and why you're, you keep seeing, you know, more money getting into it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, and what, what is the, the canvas for, for R&D? Because again, you know, there have been warning signs that the, you know, president elect Biden is going to have a bit of a crackdown on big tech that it's, you know, we're, we're kind of almost, back in some instances some some view it as, as back to the early 2000s with the, the kind of monopolies huge monopolies of of the big tech players just gobbling up anything that looks like it might be a disruptor that's obviously not necessarily a prop tech problem but it's certainly a big tech challenge yeah i mean i you know i i don't know that we have a good enough read on 
on his administration and what he's doing because um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm in the UK now, but I think we all followed the election and, and there wasn't a lot of substantive <laughs> debate on policy, right? Um, in, in a lot of ways. Did you, did, you, did you guys have a build that fifth wall hashtag? <laughs> Shouldn't be like, no, no, no. We, you, should, uh, you should absolutely we, get we, some we, t-shirts yeah, made with yeah, that yeah. one. That's a, yeah, a, a uh, slam dunk opportunity. We actually try to stay as neutral as possible. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, obviously the governments and, and regulatory authorities are an important part of uh, who we speak to and who we advise in a lot of ways. And um, I do think that um, regardless of what happens in antitrust or what happens with big tech, um, you know, it, it is just such a magical time for innovation and technology across the globe. And I do think that you're seeing, uh, you know, you're seeing obviously records amount come into venture, record amounts coming to European venture, records amount go into technology and a lot of that is because, yes, low interest rates, but also because of the incredible solutions that people are funding into and this incredible kind of entrepreneurial time we're in. Um, mm. And I, I think that we should all view that as a very positive thing um, for the future. And, uh, and I, you know, I don't think that that, you know, no matter what the government does um, in the U.S., um, you know, I'm not I don't think that that's going to change anything. Right. I mean, the antitrust against Microsoft didn't change the innovation that came afterwards um and it's always certainly changed microsoft i mean the microsoft of today is, sure. is nothing like the microsoft of 20 years ago and, and and unarguably it's made them a much better business yeah yeah i mean again i, I think it, it'll be an interesting use case to, to look at that um and uh and again i you know no one really knows what's going to happen but, but you, I, can, you know you, you, you compare sort of where microsoft is now to the to the to you know, the, the pitiful state of something like hewlett packard for example Yes. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously you have very different businesses with hardware versus software, but I think, um, but I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I think that at the end of the day, um, you know, free markets, uh, you know, relatively free markets and, um, you know, uh, great systems that, that, that match capital with talent, um, mm -hmm. and at the same time reward people who are taking risks, um, will create innovation. Um, and I think yeah, that you yeah. know, we believe in that here and we believe that in the U.S. particularly. So, let, I mean, let, let's, let, let me let's sort of bring it back to, to, to property. Yeah. So some <laughs> of the deals that, that you guys have done, um, you know, you've, you've done some, some, you know, you back some of the, the big, um, quite buzzy businesses in the space, Open Door, mm -hmm. uh, Industrious, two, two, you know, two of the recent-ish um, recent businesses what what do you guys look for uh in companies that you're investing in because obviously a lot of people will look at at the end at the, you know the first things that come onto people's radars when they think about property and tech or we work sure. uh, and obviously we we all know that story mm -hmm. so uh, how how do you navigate this space how I mean, where do you draw the line because the, the running joke there wasn't it that, that they always sell this or a tech business and everybody said no you're not you're a property business uh, yeah how how, do, how does what what is the sort of fifth wall barometer on 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 that yeah sure and i think taking it up a level again um just with what you mentioned i actually think something we're thinking about very deeply and, and remember that you know, most of our limited partners are big owners and operators of real estate, right? British Lands, Prologis, BNP Paribas, yeah. uh, real estate. And yes, they, they obviously care about the financial return we provide, but, you know, the strategic return is just important, if not more important. And so we work with them a lot on just 
thinking about technology, right? And and the effect technology is going to have on the on the world in general and the you know what we call the built world or real estate. And I think what's fascinating right now is that um, the line between tech and real estate is continuously blurring. And what I mean by that is take the take the biggest REITs in the U.S. right now, right? The biggest REITs in the U.S. right now are data centers. Okay, um, that area was considered technology five years ago, right? All those data center companies were considered tech companies um, literally five years ago, and now they're considered real estate companies, right? And so what I think is just as important as you think about the individual technologies and yes, maybe open door, maybe iBuying, maybe uh, tenant engagement apps is actually kind of stepping back sometimes and looking at the forest and not just the trees, because I think what is truly key is how is tech creating these new operating models that are going to be the future real estate players of of, of the world, right? Um, and how is technology enabling, in a sense, new asset classes that could be there, whether it be data centers, whether it be bio, whether it be uh, single-family home rental, right, uh, which, which is a, now a huge asset class in the U.S. and potentially will be a big asset class in Europe. And so I think that you do need to look at that. Now, in terms of our individual underwriting, generally venture comes down to three big components. And then I would add a fourth or fifth one. I think the first is certainly the entrepreneur, right? You need to have someone of high integrity, you know, with a lot of guts, right? And, uh, and, and, and a great vision and a great leader, right? Um, and, and that's part of an assessment. And there's, there's ways we do that. And there's, there's checks we do. And there's, there's specific things we do as part of that. Um, the second is obviously the market, right? Um, you need a big, fast-growing market, right? It doesn't matter how great the technology is. It doesn't matter how great the entrepreneur is. If it's a small market not growing, it's not going to be a great company. Um, and your return probably is to what, 10x level plus? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our, our, my lawyers always get, us, uh, get me uh, get nervous when we talk about return, but it, it's high venture return. Yeah. So I, I think it's, 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 it, it's what you, but that, uh, yeah, but I, I yeah. think, yeah, if I think for people listening to this, that, yeah. that, that typically are looking at a relatively modest returns from real estate. Yes. These are sort of eye watering numbers. That's right. They? That's yes. Generally that's the case. Um, and, uh, and then the third component is obviously the product. And what's funny about venture capital is generally venture firms kind of focus on one above the rest. Um, but you almost always look at those three things, right? So is this a best-in-class product? Does it solve a solution, right? Does it solve a problem, right? Is it a solution to a problem? And is someone willing to pay more than it costs, you know, uh, to get it, right? Um, and then I think there's a fourth thing for Fifth Wall, which is um, how do we influence the outcome? And what I mean by that is we've got these 60 partners across the world. Um, we've got an increasingly big presence here in Europe. And the question we have is, um, how are we influencing this company either through our partnerships we create, so either direct revenue partnerships, in some cases, RLPs yeah. being literal customers, or the partnerships we create with them by which the product or service is sold through the LP or through the investor. And so I think that that's a big component for us. And, and that's the do. fifth wall ecosystem, basically, right. which, is, which right. is quite a big USP. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, and I think in some cases, somewhat um, a different insight in the underwriting because we actually integrate our our investors in our underwriting. We, we, we make them part of the underwriting process. We solicit their opinions. We have standard ways of doing that. We 
you know, if they're open to it, get them to try the technology. So in some senses, um, you know, we, we should get great intelligence from that underwriting uh, with our partners. Yeah. So in, in terms of Europe, you've now got a European fund that, that, that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, that's just going to be an extension of what you've been doing in the States or, or is it going to be a, a different strategy? Is there a, a different kind of risk profile you're going at, different different stages? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, so we, we, we uh, a number of our partners announced the first close on our European fund and it's actually pretty simple. It's it's exactly what we did in the U.S., but now applied to Europe. Um, so the idea really better is- cultured, better looking, or better coffee. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and certainly better at cricket. Um, and so I think that uh, I think that that's kind of the idea, right? Is that um, we really are out there looking for the latest and greatest entrepreneurs, invest in them, and then partner them with our European ecosystem partners. I think so they have to be European-based or they just have to be yes. active in Europe? No, European-based, yeah. So that, that's what we're looking at. And and the, the funds we had before have all been U.S.-focused. Um, this will be European-focused. And then I think the second element of it, which I think is pretty unique to Fifth Wall, is that you know once we get these businesses big enough in Europe and once we get these business, businesses maybe big enough in their domestic uh, territory, so let's say a Parisian-based business in France, a, you know, yeah. a, a UK-based business in London, then we want to actually take it to the US. We want to keep them based here in Europe, but then we want to really get them in that US ecosystem because obviously that is the biggest, you know, real estate, institutional real estate capital is the biggest asset class in the world. Um, and we luckily have the best network there um, in terms of our partners there. So we we want to grow it here, do really well here. And then the first thing we do is inject it in the US. Um, and you know, the great thing about real estate people is they don't really care where the tech comes from. They just want the best. And so our job is to go and find the best and and then uh, help them grow. What, what I'm interesting, I think particularly, I guess, is some of the differences, um, you know, if you're thinking about the real estate sectors across Europe, um, they are a lot more immature, particularly you you talked about residential, You know, you guys have been doing that in the States for, for nearly well, for 30 years. And, yeah. and we're just now, we don't have any kind of really mature multifamily businesses, domestic businesses across the UK and, and Europe, really. Um, biotech is something we're only just figuring out. Um, and, and data centers, yeah, you know, we've got data centers. But I, so there's, I guess the point is there's lots of growth here and, and prop tech and tech more generally could be quite a good mirror, as, as you said a bit earlier off, in, into some of those future trends, understanding what's a trend, what's a niche, what's a blip, um, and, and, and what's what's just a kind of cyclical oddity. So let, let's talk about some of the things that you consider trends. Sure. Um, and and let, let's try and understand where the tech fits into that. So biotech life sciences, let's start with that, because sure. that's obviously very topical right now. The UK has worked out that it needs to actually invest in diagnostics. Yep. The US is realizing that, that booting out Obamacare maybe wasn't such a great idea, uh, although that's, I guess, we'll, we'll see. Uh, um, but but look, so I think there's obviously massive social and, 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 and political decisions to be taking on healthcare. But right now, there's tons of money going into this. The NASDAQ's going crazy for biotechs. Um, and, and these companies, from a real estate perspective, uh, you know, they don't really, the rents aren't, aren't a barrier for these guys. Mm-hmm. That's the, you know, the, they can afford to pay whatever they need to pay to be in the right places. Mm-hmm. So where does the tech fit into that, that world when we're talking about labs, research facilities, innovation districts and campuses? Yeah. 
Any anything interesting there? Yeah, I mean, I think, and again, we we, we you know, I think that uh, we are a technology firm, right? And we invest in technology, but a lot of the stuff we're investing in as well is call it kind of tech-enabled innovation, right? So, um, and the reason I, I I say this as a preface is that. You know, take Airbnb, for example, right? Great, great example. So just because it's it's nice not to use portfolio companies so that I'm not, you know, uh, just just picking the, the ones I like. Um, it's if you look at Airbnb, right, is it that is it a tech firm? And I'd, I'd probably tell you no. Right. I mean, it, it uses the Web. But beyond that, and yes, it uses technology. But is it at its heart a technology company? Like probably not. Right. Um, it just it's a new business model. Right. And. Mm. And it's tech enabled. And so I think a lot of what we'll be talking about or thinking about, particularly in this area, will be more in that particular area. Um, I think the, you know, talking broad brush folks in terms of medical, I think you're going to have a few things that happen that are interesting. I think one is certainly you're going to start seeing medical or um, kind of, uh, you know, what we would call kind of, you know, just just generic practitioners that are part of the office environment, right? Um, I, I think this will be a big amenity for office owners in the future of having a, you know, ground floor medical center, right? Where people can go if they, you know, if they feel sick or if something happens. Um, I, I do think that that would be one of the kind of big amenities that, you know, a premier or class A office will want um, that actually will obviously get people back in the office because it's like, oh, well, I have to go to the doctor. The doctor's down in the basement. I can book whenever. Um, so I do think that like medical will be part of that um, as retail recedes. And we think about alternative uses for the ground floor space in an office building. Um, I think the second you have to be looking at, and there's been a number of funds looking at this. And I think Blackstone just raised a life science um, fund that has a long you know, long life. Um, I do think you can start need to start looking at the lab space as almost, in a sense, the future office space. Right. Um, I think that the lab space uh, has even better kind of attributes to it than the office. Uh, first of all, labs are very expensive. Um, there's equipment in a lab that you can't work from home with. <laughs> um, that's why you go to the lab. Um, and I think the same models that we're thinking about about the future of office can very much be applied to a lab type setting. Um, and I think increasingly people are going to look at that. And actually London, in a lot of ways, um, has a has a ton of this going on, right? Um, there are a lot of labs in Marleybone. Um, there are, um, you know, if, if you, I think it's, uh, I think it's White City, I think that, that uh, Stan Hope yeah, did, Stan, Stan, Stan yeah, Stan yeah, did it with Imperial. You obviously have some of the leading uh, medical and science institutions here. I, I love walking around London because so many famous uh, medical things happen. I think, you know, I live down by uh, near Paddington and I think um, maybe was it the polio vaccine or it was one, of, you know, one of the vaccines was, was developed here and um, which is, you know, pretty incredible. And so I think you've got such history here and such great science that it, it's a great city to see this happening. But I think that lab space is going to be something people definitely look at. Um, and then I think if we move over to logistics, I, I think that the government and everyone is going to be taking a whole new look at supply chains within medicine. Right. Um, and I think that that's going to have a huge impact on the storage and logistics areas. Um, and there will be quite a bit of opportunity there, in my opinion. Mm. Now, I mean, the medical space is quite interesting. As I think I think what people have seen is that 
maybe going to a GP surgery full of loads of sick people just because you're sick as well is, is not necessarily a great idea. But then, you know, the, the flip side of that when it comes back to funding is that we spend billions of pounds in the UK conducting and, and, and undertaking relatively low-level primary care procedures in hospitals that could be done locally in the community. And right. that, that's a lot more prevalent across mainland Europe. You know, you don't just go to some generalist, general practitioner. If you've got a specific ailment, you go to that specialist. Um, and, and that would strike me as making a lot more sense. But I, I think, you know, from some of the research that we've been doing in this space, we work with Biomed, a Blackstone portfolio yep. company that, that's developing you know, a, a lot of lab space globally. And, and they own one of the biggest owners in the UK. But, but we've been doing a lot of research as a business over the summer and, and actually the 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 increasing investment in ai in digital health and and people's ability to personalize their 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 healthcare could have quite profound effects on 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 the real estate outcomes there like you say yeah. being able to go into a, a local chemist and do your blood tests so you don't have to uh uh, go to the hospital and, and, and conduct all those sorts of things. How, how, is that something you guys are looking at or does it, does that then become too much of a murky area? Yeah, no, I mean, I, th I think it, yeah, I think for us, it gets a little too out of the built world, but it is important for us to understand that and to follow it. Right. Because I think it does have a profound effect um, on, uh, on real estate. I mean, I, I think again, why, a lot of our great investments come out of thematic work we do from working with our partners and, and thinking about these ideas. And um, it, it is important for us to understand that and what's happening, because, again, it's 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 where that line of tech and real estate blurs. Right. It's where you, you kind of yeah. need to know. And I, and I do think what's interesting is, you know, and the example I always give is one of the most sought after presentations we give that I almost always get requested to give is. Um, this presentation we give on autonomous vehicles and the effect of real estate that autonomous vehicles will have long term, right? Um, and we are likely not going to be investing in, you know, any any technology that deals with that, right? But um, it's very important to understand what autonomous vehicles are going to do to real estate if you are a real estate investor. I think it's kind of critical um, to think about the future, right? It, it's kind of like uh, you know, if you had if you had known what Amazon was going to do to retail. Right. Um, and, and some people did. And they went heavy in logistics and it's paid off. Right. So you, you really do need to mm. you, you can't just myopically focus on real estate and say this is real estate tech. This isn't. And therefore, I don't care. I think you have to have a multidisciplinary approach um, because mm. at the end mm. of the day, it's about how we, we move around and how we use we use these physical assets. So mm. finally, then, just just before we close. Yeah. With with you know obviously uh, we've got COP twenty six coming up in in the UK mm -hmm. shortly. Uh, we do have this focus on ESG. What should CEOs of, of of some of the REITs be saying to their boards on this? What what should their top line strategy be on how they're using tech, how they're supporting the ESG demands that investors are placing on their shoulders? What are you know, are there some uh, are there some off the shelf? opportunities that, that you see on the horizon? Yeah, look, I, I actually think what you need to do is have a very serious board discussion. And I really do think you're going to have to budget a decent amount of spend to meet these goals. And I think the best way to do that is to just explain it to your board and explain it to your investors, uh, just like anything, but understand that there are really great long-term payoffs for this. Um, uh, I, I, you know, There's a number of technologies, obviously there's 
energy efficiency technology that pretty much is where it needs to be. It, it could get better, but it's in a pretty good spot. Um, there's a number of material sciences that we, you know, I don't do it out of this fund, but um, is something out there. Um, but I actually do think, unfortunately, where the technology and innovation is versus where it needs to be to hit these net zero targets um, is incompatible right now. I think there's going to have to be a huge, a much bigger round uh, or rounds of R&D in the space to get us where we need to be. Um, and so I think the biggest thing is, you know, if I were a CEO of a massive company that's listed, uh, the first thing I would do is just figure out what the heck my carbon footprint is and what's contributing the most to it. And what you'll often find is it's almost like an 80-20, right? That most of your carbon comes from kind of 20% of your activity. And then I would really focus on two or three big projects that are going to mitigate that as best I can. Um, but I do think that that's the thing. I think the second thing that's coming down the pike is right now, a lot of people are able to do net zero based on carbon offsets. So they'll build a new building. Um, it'll have a huge carbon footprint, but they say, don't worry, we just planted, you know, 20,000 trees in, in, in North of England. Um, I think PR wise, that's going to be very untenable in the future. Um, I, I, one of my partners, Brendan, describes it as kind of weighing yourself and then putting one foot off the scale. Um, I think increasingly the press and the media and investors are going to say, that's not good enough. We need the net zero to actually mean net zero. Um, and I think the way we're going to be able to do that is better materials. You know, something like I think cement is a huge contributor to carbon um, in, a, in a new project. Um, and then I think the second thing is, is going to be not only energy efficiency, but energy generation in a building so that you're contributing back to the grid and therefore offsetting uh, your, your carbon based on that. Thank you then to Rodolf Opperman from Fifth Wall. Fantastic conversation, covered pretty much everything there. And we'll have more on PropTech over the next couple of weeks uh, on this podcast with, with other people in the marketplace giving their views on, on how disruption and innovation are likely to take hold over the next few years. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to subscribe, please head to Apple, Spotify, etc. Search PropCast and we'll see you again soon. Thank you.